Hey, Barry. Hey, Al. What's the best spell to comfort your friend with? What? Hold person. It's time for Compelled Duel. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Compelled Duel. I'm Al. And I'm Barry. And we are a single-player, co-DM'd D&D 5e actual play podcast. Previously on Compelled Duel. This priest is going to use an ability that they have called Summon Demon. Kivas fucking thunder, I did not sign up for this! Are you suggesting we all take our trance 50 feet above the priest that could very easily untie themselves and come slit our throats? No. (laughs) No, what I'm suggesting is that we all take our trance in the big tower with the creepy death hole that eats people in it. Great plan, everybody. Kalesa, thank you for your input. I am trying my best. I am trying my best. You manage to get off a greater restoration as you're sitting there trying to fix Adana's hair. It has no effect. Leo grimaces and under his breath whispers, God, what did he do to you? Adana half turns with your hand still in her hair and goes, What? Do you think there's a world where we can both be okay, Said? I don't know. I hope so. I wanna think so. Lost what in Kiva's name? I woke up to see a leak and you were gone and I looked out the window and saw you fucking walking into the ocean. I I don't... (coughs) I don't know. I... Where's Leo? You are hearing. Hundreds upon hundreds, thousands upon thousands of voices, all moaning, and then wailing, and then shrieking in unison. Come on in, we've been waiting. Come on in, we've been waiting. Come on in, we've been waiting. And then you black out. Leo, you wake up. You are somewhere warm. You can feel almost sunlight on your face. It's like imitation sunlight. It's not quite right, but you get what it's going for. You open your eyes and see directly above you that there is a skylight on the ceiling of whatever room you're in, and outside is the inky void of the outside of a Magnificent Mansion spell, but directly inside the skylight, seemingly emanating from it, are rays of sunlight, dust motes caught in them. Wherever you are, you are laying on something warm and soft, The air smells of oil and leather and rich soil. 
Leo's first act as he regains consciousness is to just stare at the ceiling and go, Ugh. So you do, because you are in a not insignificant amount of pain. As you do that, almost instantaneously, the skylight in your vision is completely blocked out by the head of one Miss Kalesa Petrus appearing right above your face. Good morning, sunshine. Are you aware that you almost took a swan dive into the death hole? Leo blinks slowly. Oh, shit, is that what that was? Oh, god. Oh, god, where's Fee? She's fine. Everybody's fine. We're not in the fucking tower anymore. I want to go on record saying that I thought that was a bad idea, by the way. Yeah, yeah, congratulations. You were right. I was wrong. In other news, water is wet. Zed was there. Where's Zed? I think you sit up as you're saying this. Kalesa is sitting on a chair next to the bed that you're laying on, kind of twirling one of her knives. Oh, Zed's having a complete fucking meltdown outside. Go ahead and roll insight for me. 21. Kalesa's freaking out. You can kind of see from the speed at which she is twirling this knife from the way that her fingers are plucking at the fabric of the shirt she's wearing, from the set of her jaw, she is extremely worried and not processing it very well. God, when will I be done fucking things up? Leo's gonna try to sit up and get out of bed. As you get up, you notice some things about this room that you're in. You were laying on a bed with a very low frame, piled high with blankets and pillows. There is, in addition to the skylight, a fireplace across the room with a bunch of cushions on the floor around it. Other than that, a lot of the floor space is clear. You see a punching bag hung up in the corner and a lot of free space to move. Except for the corner opposite the punching bag, in which there are several little planters. He looks around, kind of confused at the new surroundings, but doesn't pay them too much mind. He's going to go try to find Zed. Uh, roll me a quick con save. Dirty 20. Okay. You still have your level of exhaustion from last night, what with all of the trance walking and general restlessness, but you do not take an additional one, which would have happened if you had rolled under a 10. You stumble a bit, but manage to get out of bed, and I think you're heading towards the door when Kalesa steps in front of you and goes, Whoa, you want to have a conversation before you make a break for it? Not particularly. I've got people out there that need me. Fee's trancing, and Zed does not need to talk to you right now. He's having a conversation with Eleonora. Try again. What happened? Yeah, that's what we'd all like to know. Since from our perspective, you tried to jump into the world's largest well of sacrifice of sentient people. Like a lemming, but with more trafficking and necromancy. I didn't. I wasn't awake. I was dreaming, and Soren was there, and- Kalesa flinches back like you have just slapped her. 
He told me to jump. They all did. They all told me to jump, and I didn't know it was the- Oh my god, we need to get Lorelai out of there. Is Lorelai out of there? Yeah, yeah, she's downstairs. We got all of us out of the tower because between you trying to jump in the well and Fee wandering into the fucking ocean- She did what? She's fine. We're all fucking fine. <sighs> okay, okay, okay. It was calling me. Whatever the hole in the floor is, it was calling me. It wanted me to jump in. It said it had been waiting. I know it's probably hard to believe that this isn't more of my typical self-destructive bullshit, but Kalesa, you've gotta believe me. I didn't know. I wasn't awake. And it was calling for me. Kalesa takes a step back and just crosses her arms over her chest. And you watch her jaw twitch. Look at me in my eyes and promise me that you didn't know what you were doing. Did I know that I was taking a swan dive into the death hole? No. I wasn't awake and Soren was there and... Do we know anybody named Ophelia or Ashran? Kalesa blinks and goes, what? Do we... Uh, Ophelia, like, Soren's and Ophelia? What are you talking about? Soren doesn't... didn't have an aunt. What are you talking about? It was just his two uncles, his mother's brothers. No, his, his dad had a sister. She died when she was little... Right? I- I know he told me that. Why is she relevant? What are we talking about? Ophelia and Ashran. Oh, God. Leo's gonna try to shove past Kalesa and run out into the hall. Uh, yeah, roll dex. We'll do a dex contest. You have disadvantage because of exhaustion. Uh, even with disadvantage, that's a 16. Okay, Kalesa gets a 15. You managed to slip past her out into the hallway. What are you doing? What hallway am I in? Because I'm just now remembering all of the names of Sabine's siblings on the doors from the last time I was in here. I remember that one of them was Ashrin. I'm trying to find that door. You're in the right hallway. You see the staircase way far ahead of you going down and all the doors with the names of Sabine's siblings in front of it. There are a bunch of new rooms crowded into this hallway in a way that doesn't really make sense spatially. Sabine's siblings have all kind of been bunched up further down, but the door that you just came out of is labeled the same way all of those doors are. With the names Leo and Zed. You see another one further down the hall that says Erave, another one that says Kalesa and Eleonora, so on and so forth. You can head right down the hallway and you do see the nameplate that says Ashran on it. I throw open the door. Roll a whiz save. Thirteen. That doesn't do it. It is inky blackness, just like the doors of Hugo and Cyril that you opened yesterday, you think? 
except directly on the other side of this door, with her hands braced against the doorframe, is the little girl from your dreams. Gone is the cheerful petulance that you remember from your dream. She is staring you down with her jaw set defiantly. She is about the equivalent of 13 years old. All limbs like she's just gone through a growth spurt. She is a pale little kid with white hair and extremely, like, hawkish features. She's wearing a nightgown, as if she has just been tugged from her bed in the middle of the night. And you see, as you look at her, that it and her face are smeared with what you think is ash. She continues to stare you down, and then nods and disappears. And you have proficiency in performance. Fan-fucking-tastic. I'm probably gonna need that to pretend that I'm okay right now. Leo slams the door shut, whirls around until his back is against the wall out in this hallway, and just slowly sinks down to the floor and puts his head in his hands. They were all dead. They were all dead. Oh god, they were all dead. Kalesa had rushed out the door on your heels, and she skids to a stop in front of you. What are you talking about? What's going on? From the spot where he's curled up on the floor, Leo looks up at her, his jaw going very tense. I need you to not tell Zed. And I need you to not tell my mom. She pauses. And then takes out one of her knives and starts twirling it again. <sighs> yeah, okay. Just please don't leave me out of the loop again. Whatever's in that hole in the floor in the tower, it's old. And it's dead. And it wants me. Kalesa, it wants me. Well, fuck. Fee, you wake up from a brief rest, still feeling like you have been run over by a cart. When the captain dragged you, sopping wet and very confused, back up to the tower, you walked in to something utterly horrifying. Namely, your brother unconscious on the floor, and an absolutely inconsolable Zed, more upset than you have ever seen him in the entire time you've known him, screaming at all the people coming down the stairs about how Leo had just tried to jump into the hole in the floor at the base of this lighthouse. Yeah, you could say Fee was a little upset by that. <laughs> absolutely, and obviously... Evacuation of the tower followed rather quickly. But honestly, everything between the moment you walked back into the lighthouse and waking up in this bed that you're in right now is pretty much a blur. You open your eyes to the inside of a bedroom that is unmistakably Sabine's. 
It's decorated very much in the way that the captain's quarters back on the ship are. Lots of sheer, gauzy, red and yellow and orange scarves hung up all over the place. There's a big, wide, floor-length mirror on one side of the room, and a small, wood-paneled area on the floor that looks to be a dance practice space. The decor in here is eclectic in a way that's somehow still cohesive. There's a lot of, like, small, mismatched rugs layered across the floor, lots of knickknacks from various travels and, you would assume, beacon missions set up all over the bedside tables and a desk in the far corner. The wall directly opposite from where you are lying in this bed is just covered floor to ceiling, side to side, with tacked up pieces of art. There are a few beautifully rendered sketches and watercolors mixed in that you notice have Florian's signature on the bottom, but there's also, like, macaroni art and finger painting projects and like those little handprint turkeys that kids make in elementary school. And as you're lying there, you start to notice more of the signatures on some of this artwork. There's a glitter-encrusted holiday card tacked to the wall signed Love Oberon. There's a lumpy, lopsided clay pencil cup on a desk with the name Colette scratched into the side. There's a childish drawing of a big manor house that looks like the one you're probably inside now, with a family of 12 stick figures out in front of it, with the name Ashran in big blocky letters at the bottom of it. And hanging from the ceiling in a corner is this little handcrafted mobile made of sticks and yarn tied together that is spinning slowly beneath the weight of all these little folded paper animals, like little paper birds and a little paper bear. And all of these little animals have To Sabine from Sid written on them. You are alone in this room. You have no way of knowing what time it is. The outside of the windows in here is that inky, extraplanar void of the Magnificent Mansion spell. What are you doing? Fee sits up and looks at all of this art for a very long moment. And then takes a deep breath, gets up, and she's gonna head out, try to find anybody at this point. Your hand is poised over the doorknob when you hear the sounds of a muffled argument from out in the hallway. You hear Sabine's voice, hushed but very intense. You cannot be serious after everything that she has just been through. You can't give her a little time? And then you hear the sound of the captain, sounding very stressed, biting back. Well, pardon the fuck out of me, Sabine. As the person who pulled her out of the ocean, I know what's at risk here. And I won't have either of you on this rock for a second longer than you have to be. So I could argue that time is the one thing we don't have. Fee opens the door. The captain and Sabine are right outside. The captain is still very damp hair drying in salty curls down around his shoulders. 
and Sabine looks exhausted. They're up in each other's faces a little bit as you open the door. And you notice that the captain has a scroll of parchment and a wax seal clutched in one hand. Fee looks at both of them and then says, You know, if the two of you are going to fight about me, you could at least do it somewhere where I can see and enjoy it. They both freeze and then pivot slowly to look at you. The captain deflates a little bit, looking kind of guilty, but Sabine jumps straight into caretaking mode, takes one step over the threshold of this door, and gets both hands up around your face. Oh, thank Kimberly, you're up. Okay, do you need anything? Do you need more blankets? Are you cold? I'm I'm okay. Uh is is everyone else is is Leo up yet? She grimaces. No, he's still trancing and off, but Kalesa's with him. Zed's um Zed needed to step away for a minute. I know coming back into the magnificent mansion spell isn't ideal, what with the killer priests downstairs, but I think at this point it's better than the alternative, and Fen and Mia and Ravain are setting up a guard rotation. We have Ravain guarding the highly trained murderers? Yeah, we weren't going to. The prisoners were being really mean to him when we took him down, but then he did the mushroom thing, and they all screamed, and one of them peed their pants. Understandable. <laughs> The corner of Sabine's mouth twitches, but then she looks at you and goes back to an expression of grave concern. Anyway, we're all safe. Everybody's okay. You should be laying down. She snaps around to glare at the captain over her shoulder. And resting and not worrying about anything else. Sabine. I'm okay. Fee turns to the captain. What do you need to talk to me about? The captain looks back and forth between you and Sabine with the expression of a man caught between a very big rock and a very hard place, but then slowly unrolls this scroll of parchment in his hand and holds it out to you. Just, uh, just need your signature on that glass and your seal, if you don't mind. It's the missive to the pirate court. I had Pelican help me out with some of the bigger words. He's better with that sort of mumbo-jumbo than I am. But it has our demands and everything we need. Just needs to be signed off on by the pirate queen of Australia. Fee winces, but takes this roll of parchment from him and looks it over. Okay, roll history for me. Twenty-one. You believe that Pelican, in another life, may have been a lawyer at one point. This document is drafted impeccably. It outlines everything you need, your reasoning behind it, goes in and cites clauses and subclauses of the pirate code. Like, something something, according to clause 14, subsection B, you have to give us ships because this... You put your name on documents back when you were still Grand Duchess for a brief time that were not as well-crafted as this. It's gonna get the job done. Okay. Well, midnight swim aside, I'm certainly well enough to sign a piece of parchment. Quill, please. They both make their way into Sabine's bedroom. 
Sabine posts up at the end of the bed with both arms crossed over her chest and a really pinched expression. The captain, looking more and more fearful by the second, hustles over to her desk and busies himself lighting a candle to get the wax seal melted down before he digs a quill out of his bag and hands it to you. Feel so side-eyes, Sabine. (laughs) Uh, trying to gauge how much trouble she's in. But signs the document. Oh, buddy, I'm not even gonna make you roll insight. You are both. You're not even in the doghouse anymore. You're you're gonna have to sleep outside the doghouse. <laughs> but you sign your name. The captain comes over with the melted wax seal and Defiance's brooch clutched in his free hand, pours the wax onto the parchment, and presses the back of the brooch, which is engraved with an elaborate, very elven-looking seal, down into the wax. And you have just formally submitted a request for aid to the pirate court. He rolls the parchment back up, tucks it away. Right. Best be on my way then. I'll be taking the Banshee, but with my crew. She's a faster ship and she'll move more unnoticed through Australian waters. Is there anyone you want me to leave behind? Help you feel safe? Boots? You? Oh, you're... Leaving, right, um, she shakes her head, sits back down on Sabine's childhood bed, apparently. She reaches out and kind of grabs the captain's hand and squeezes. We'll be all right, um, you could leave, uh, you and Sunshine and Glasses if you think you can spare them. I think it would help Lorelai, we'll all be busy and I don't want her to get lonely. I reckon I could do that. I know how to work the cannons, and Miriam Adler's here. I can bring her along to keep the crew in shape. He gets one hand behind your head, fingers lacing through your hair, and just leans down to kiss you on the forehead. I'll be back before you know it, lass. And I'll bring a surprise. (laughs) Can't wait. She's gonna reach up and get him in a bit of a longer kiss, and then as she pulls away, she says, Come home safe, please. He leans in and kind of bumps his forehead against yours and gives you that big, rakish grin. Well, so far I've got a 100% record of happy returns. I don't intend to break it now. He gives you one more little kiss and then turns over to Sabine, pulls her in for a kiss as well. And as for you, if I come back alive, will I not be in trouble? Sabine smirks like she's trying to make a joke, but you can see how fragile she is under it. (laughs) I'm going to tell you yes, because I'm afraid that you would choose death over my wrath if I didn't. What Fee said. You come back to us. The captain also looks very shaken, but manages to cover it a little bit better than Sabine did. He takes one last long look at both of you, and then turns on his heel and walks out the open bedroom door, whistling a sea shanty quietly to himself. He watches him go, and then deflates, and turns to Sabine and says, Please don't be mad at me. 
I'm not mad at either of you. I'm just concerned. I know that it wasn't your fault what happened, but that doesn't change how scared I was when I woke up and looked out the window and saw you walking into the ocean. And the captain... He has a point, he's right, but I just... When he brought you back, I had never seen him look so helpless in my life. It's so quick that you almost don't catch it. But briefly, her eyes dart from you over to the wall of her sibling's art. And I've got a lot of experience with the lengths people will go to when they feel helpless like that. I'm concerned. I appreciate that. And I love you. And I'm sorry I scared you. But every step we take closer to finishing all of this is one step closer to me and you reclining on a beach somewhere. And speaking personally, that's what I'm working towards. Okay? I'm alright, I promise. I'm glad. That makes one of us. <sighs> Come here. And he's gonna grab her hand and just tug her over to the other side of the bed and throw an arm over her and just lay down. Sabine stiffens for a moment. Like she wants to fight you on this, like she doesn't want to lay down, wants to stay up, keep doing things, keep taking care of people. But after a moment, her exhaustion wins out. Her shoulders slump forward, and she practically collapses onto the mattress next to you. She curls up into your shoulder, and it is alarming how fast she falls into her trance. And as you're laying there, Sabine's deep, even breathing washing over your shoulder, you notice that for the past couple seconds, you've been smelling smoke. But as she relaxes and takes her trance, it fades away. The captain hops on the banshee. He makes a vague mention of sending a message ahead to one of the ships that is still down in the Zephyr Isles to meet the rest of the pirate monarchs at Parley Cove and get them to all meet up somewhere that is slightly closer to Luxagallan so he'll be away for less time. And then he and the crew head out. Leo, when Zed gets back to the room that the two of you are apparently staying in, there is no evidence of the freak out that Kalesa implied that he had. He is cool and calm. He doesn't bring up what happened, but that's mostly because he doesn't say pretty much anything to you that day. Yeah, Leo's matching that energy. He's not talking about it either. The two of you sit in a protective silence for a few hours. You get called down to dinner. You go about the motions of your day. The next morning, you wake up and Zed is already out of the room. 
What are you doing? I want my dog, man. <laughs> I've had a bad couple days. I want my dog. Dexter's still on the ship. I'm going to try to leave the Magnificent Mansion and go down to the ship to get Dexter. You step out through the portal. Zed is sitting on the beach, like, directly outside, and his head whips over to look at you, and he says, And where the hell are you going? Leo stops, frowns at him, and kind of tilts his head to the side. I'm going down to the ship to get Dexter. Is that okay with you? Zed's jaw clenches. And he shakes his head, looks away from you, just staring out at the ocean, and kind of rips up a little beach weed at his side, and just tosses it into the sand. You shouldn't be going anywhere by yourself. Just I'm awake, it's broad daylight, and I'm heading in the opposite direction of the tower. I don't think I need a chaperone, Zed. Yeah, well, I didn't think you fucking needed one in our bedroom, either. There is no need for you to- Obviously, there's a lot of fucking need. I don't think Leo can rein this in before it happens. He gives Zed a really bitchy look. <laughs> okay, I get it that my record, as far as risk-taking behavior goes, is not exactly sterling, Zed. But as one of two people on this island who, A, has the full picture of what's going on, and B, is responsible for fixing this whole shit show, I would hope that it would go without saying that I'm not going to be voluntarily diving into any ghost holes in the near future. What happened, happened because I was trancing directly over the fucking thing and I- I don't want to talk about this. I shouldn't have to talk about this. I am a grown-ass man, I am pushing 132 years old, and I don't need a babysitter to go get my fucking dog. You watch the muscles in Zed's jaw twitch again, and then he gets to his feet in one fluid, graceful motion, shoves past you to the portal, holding the door open, and says, You know what, boss? Do what you want. You were going to anyway. Oh no. No, 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 no. No more plausible deniability. We are in this now. You have got to start saying the quiet part out loud. Tell me what you really think, Zed. Tell me how you've been freaked out from the jump about the ghosts and the bones and the necromancy and everything that's a huge part of me. Tell me about how after everything we have been through, after all the work I have done, trying as hard as I can to get better, that you still can't trust me to not try to get myself hurt. Tell me about how you think I'm fucking crazy. You're fucking acting like it. You know what? Yeah, sure. I'm the asshole here. I have one backslide in the worst year of my life and you get to surprise me with fucking interrogations on my sobriety like I'm a flight risk. But fuck me for showing some concern after I have to stop you from jumping into the fucking hole where your ex died. Interrogate. 
if one earnest question is what counts as an interrogation for you, I would be enchanted to know what you call keeping me on lockdown because of something that happened while I wasn't fucking conscious. But you know what, honey? Keep on not trusting me. You were going to anyway. And Leo turns around and marches down to the ship and gets Dexter. You go down to the ship, snap off an animate dead, and Dexter's up. What are you doing? I go find his leash and I take him for a walk. I'm not going back in that fucking magic house right now. So true, bestie. As you're walking through the woods, Dexter suddenly starts pulling on the leash and lets out a woof. Dexter, Dexter, heal! It's a rabbit. Heal! Dexter continues pulling and lets out a whine, and then you hear Verity's voice through the trees. Is that my good boy? <sighs> Assuming I survive this, obedient school for you. Leo drops the leash and lets him run. Dexter bolts through the trees. <laughs> you hear various uh, Verity cooing noises, and then. Oh, does he want rib scratch-ins? And then a sound like a xylophone, but bad. <laughs> oh, no! Ugh. Leo, moving much slower than his dog, is going to follow the source of these noises. You find Verity in a little clearing, kneeling on the ground, furiously scratching at Dexter's ribs. She looks up as you walk in and goes, Hi, Leo! I found mint! Yeah! awesome it is i was out with your mom earlier and she was telling me about the herb lore of luxagolin and apparently mint is invasive here so i can take as much as i want leo's like actively trying not to cry yeah that's that's great <clears throat> you know what verity tell me about the mint i could use something to take my mind off things Verity squints at you for a long moment and then says, You seem upset. I'm told I'm a bit of an empath. I can sense these things. <laughs> yeah, um, you got me. It's been a rough couple days. Zed and I are kind of on the rocks right now. Oh, I knew that already. How? Verity looks at you like you're being weird and says, Venus is in retrograde. What's Venus? Don't worry about it. Okay. <laughs> the mint? Oh, yeah, the mint. I'm going to make tea. And then she just goes back to picking mint off the ground. Why? No, actually, this is what the therapist said was a constructive coping mechanism. Verity, can you help me? With what? With not losing my goddamn mind. But if you need something more concrete, I would love to get a little starter garden set up in front of the Magnificent Mansion, if that's okay. I'm... Frankly surprised anything can grow on this island at all. All I can feel here is death and anger and loss. 
That sounds hard. I found tansy, too. And she pulls some tansy out of her bag and shows it to you. Yeah, awesome. So just some starter flowers, like right in front of the door, so I don't move more than five feet away from my new prison and make my boyfriend mad? That would be great. Verity tilts her head, and she says, Well, I don't know what we could get started right in front of the door, since it's on the sand. Potted plants, perhaps? Oh, that's a good idea! I don't have any pots. She looks away, troubled. I don't know where we're going to get pots. I haven't seen a potter here. I guess if there's a potter, we probably have him locked up in the basement. There are pots in my room, and you can go into my room to get the pots, not for anything else. Oh, cool. Yeah, we can get that set up then. She hops to her feet and says, Dexter, come on. And she starts heading off back towards the beach. Roll me a quick charisma check, and I will also roll one for Verity. I rolled a five. Verity gets a big fat plus zero. <laughs> but she rolled a seven. Dexter goes with her. You little fucker. I got into a fight with my boyfriend for you. I'll remember this, Dexter. Dexter stops, turns around, does the puppy play bow barks at you, and then goes after Verity. <laughs> Leo goes after them back towards the house. Verity runs in ahead of you and is already up the stairs as you're walking in, and you hear people talking from the direction of the dining room off the main entry hall. Do I hear Zed in there? You do not. You hear your mother. Okay, I'm gonna go in. In this dining room... Your mother is sitting at the table, casting something, showing off that kind of disjointed cat's cradle you've seen her cast a few times. And across the table from her, looking at it intently, with a bundle of herbs under one of her hands, is Selicomorin. Down at the other end of the table, Kalesa and Eleonora are sitting together, drinking tea. No energy for small talk. Leo just sits down at the table and puts his head down. Adana nods and distractedly says, Hi, sweetheart, and then turns back to Selica and says, Do you see what I mean, though? Selica, still staring intently at this cat's cradle, goes, No, yeah, I know what you mean. It's fascinating. I mean, I'm sure it's not... You know what I mean. Just from an arcane perspective, it's... The spell work is fantastic. I can see the bones of it. Adana visibly preens. <laughs> uh, well, thank you. And you hear a loud sip <laughs> from down the table. Leo picks his head up off the table enough to open one eye and look down at Adana and Selica. Uh, roll insight really quick. 28. Uh, Adana's blushing just a little bit. Selica has grabbed one of her hands in both of her own and is looking intently at the threads of magic wrapped around Adana's fingers. And Adana is looking very intently at where Selica has grabbed her hand. The one of Leo's eyes that is visible goes very wide. 
under the table, he points at Kalesa, casts a message cantrip, and telepathically says, Are you seeing this shit? You hear Kalesa snort and then cover it with a cough. As she replies, giddily. Yeah, I'm seeing this. And as she coughs, Adana and Selica pull back from each other, and Adana looks over and goes, Uh, Kalesa, sweetheart, are you alright? Kalesa takes a big sip of her drink and then says, <clears throat> Never better. <laughs> Leo's just staring, just staring frantically back and forth between Adana and Selica. Under the table, he points at Eleonora and casts another message cantrip. What the fuck is going on? As you're doing that, Selica blinks a few times rapidly and then abruptly stands up and gathers this bunch of herbs on the table and says, uh, thank you for these. Uh, I'm gonna go whip up a couple of things. Uh, I, I will see if I can think of anything that would, uh, uh, help with this whole situation. It seems like maybe I could make gloves. I can make gloves. We'll, we'll see if that works. And then she leaves. She's out. <laughs> and Eleonora responds to your message. I mean, you have eyes. Yes, and right now they are the size of dinner plates. Leo sits up very slowly. <clears throat> so, uh, Verity found Mint, and Zed and I had a really bad fight, and I cried. Your mom immediately turns to you and goes, Oh no, honey, is everything okay? Um, jury's still out on that. It's a bit of a complicated situation. Mom, do you like women? There is a moment of silence, broken only by sounds from the foyer of someone walking across the floor and then Verity yelping, and then hurried footsteps back across the foyer and up the stairs. Your mother squints at you and tilts her head and then says, Honey, of course I love women. As a feminist, solidarity is very important to me. No. <laughs> Not like that. Well, I mean, yes, like that. Girl power. Go for it. But I, I mean, do you like women? From down the table, you hear Eleonora struggling not to laugh. And Adana squints a little more and then says, Honey, what are you talking about? Uh, okay, um, I am trying to find a way to put this delicately to you, my mother. <laughs> are you inclined toward the fairer sex? Do you see a reasonably attractive woman and consider perhaps holding her hand or kissing her gently under the moonlight? Kalesa wheezes, <laughs> and the confusion wipes off of Adana's face, and she rolls her eyes and then turns back to the table as she says, Oh, sweetheart, everyone thinks of their girlfriends that way. They don't! At the same time as you say that, Eleonora and Kalesa, in unison, both also say, They don't! Next to you, your mother says, Oh. Oh. Leo just sits there with a thousand-yard stare. I mean, on one hand, congratulations. On the other, I feel insane. Huh. And then from out by the front door, you hear 
footsteps again, and then Verity goes, Oh, come on! Yeah, I should go check on Verity. Um, Mom, I'll leave you here with Eleonora and Kalesa. They're both professionals at liking women and can definitely help talk you through this, show you the ropes, help you with your orientation. I should not have picked that word. That was a bad word to pick that came out of my mouth just now. (laughs) Adana nods slowly, and as you get up from the other end of the table, Kalesa says, You also like women. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm, like, not great at it. Ask Eleonora. Eleonora does kind of the so-so head nod, and taking a sip of her drink says, Well, some aspects. Thank you for the highly inappropriate ego boost that you just gave me in front of my mother, Eleonora. I'm gonna leave now. Bye, ladies. Leo fucking runs. He does not care. He runs out of this room. Verity is standing just inside the door to the Magnificent Mansion, holding one of the garden pots from your room and looking like she is about to cry. Leo, also looking like he is about to cry, pauses in the middle of the foyer and just looks at her incredulously. Hey, Verity. Everything going okay? No. And then, still holding the pot, she just sticks her arms out the door, and you watch this garden pot dissolve into smoke and drift away. Because any object that you take outside of a Magnificent Mansion spell dissolves into smoke. You gather that she has done this a few times now. Okay, I can solve a problem. I can do this. Verity, are the plants outside? Yeah. Have you thought about maybe instead of taking the pots outside, you bring the plants inside? You said you wanted the garden to be outside. What I want is so far out of the picture at this point, Verity. Thank you for your help. I need to go lie down. And he just walks away. (laughs) He walks upstairs and takes a nap. The, The next few days pass with a pretty hefty amount of tension inside this Magnificent Mansion spell. Sabine is being very careful to upkeep the casting of this spell in less than 24-hour cycles so that you don't all get dumped out onto the beach when it ends. Fen and Ravane and Mia keep up their guard rotation on all of the prisoners down in the basement. The teen squad are running out of card games to play and starting to get bored, which is making you anticipate some vandalism in the near future. With the notable exception of the one teenager who is not native to this friend group, Sid stops by maybe once a day, just a quick check-in, barely gets over the threshold, goes, I'm alive, and then turns around and walks back out. Verity and Arave and Kalesa and Eleonora all seem reasonably chill, like they're just content to sit around and wait for what happens next. Selica's not around a lot. You hear a lot of crashes and bangs from inside her and Talindra's room in the hallway that has been set up for all of you inside the spell. Adana seems to split her time between trying to help out around the house, keep things tidy, and honestly just checking out 
and staring at walls for hours at a time. Leo and Zed are being downright frosty with each other. Like, sitting at opposite ends of the dinner table and not talking levels of frosty. And as for you and Sabine, neither of you are people inclined towards just sitting around and waiting to see what comes next, and that, coupled with the fact that you both really miss the captain a lot, has added a lot of tension to the situation. It's late afternoon, coming up on dinner time, on your fifth day in this magnificent mansion spell. You are walking through the foyer, past Leo playing fetch with Dexter across the marble floors, the click-clack of bony little feet echoing off the walls. And before you can hang the left into the kitchen, you see Sid standing in the doorway, and Sabine standing just inside. She's got both hands planted on her hips and her head tilted to the side. Yeah, understood, Sid. Glad to see that you're alive. You could at least stay for dinner. And really, I would trance a little easier at night knowing that you're here and safe rather than up in that tower. Sid, still in his Hierophant's robes with big, dark, restless circles under his eyes, curls his lip at her. Yeah, well, I'm the Hierophant. I'm the voice of Kimrel. I'm safer in that tower than I've ever been with you. I'm gonna kill him. Roll to hit. I'm not actually gonna hit a 15-year-old. That's very noble of you. And before you really get the chance to think twice about it, he spins around on his heel and marches back out of the doorway, up the beach, and out of sight. Sabine closes the door and turns around, absolutely silent. And the look on her face is gutting to behold. She stares blankly ahead of her for a second, and then reaches out one arm to catch one of the semi-transparent Sabine servants that are running around this mansion. This one looks to be about the equivalent of 15, hair in a long braid down her back, bells jingling around her ankles. Real Sabine, posture very stiff, clears her throat, and goes, Um, go get dinner started, okay? And then she walks right past you and up the stairs. Fee casts a baleful look at the door, and then she's gonna follow Sabine. You're far enough behind her that you just barely catch the swish of her skirt around the doorframe into her bedroom. And you hear a muffled sob. Fee goes in. Sabine is sitting on the edge of her bed, head bowed looking down at something clutched in her lap. As you take a few more steps into this room and look around, you notice that she is holding the little stick-and-yarn mobile that had been hanging from the ceiling with all of the little folded paper animals with Sid's name on them attached to the end. She doesn't look up at you as you come in, just delicately curls her palm around a little paper crane, He's right, you know. He's got no reason to trust me. For anything. Especially not to take care of him. Fee sits down on the bed next to her, and hesitantly puts a hand on her back. Well, that's not true. 
Sabine actually bristles a little bit. Her shoulders go very stiff under your hand, and she snaps her head up from looking at this mobile to stare at you. How would you know that? You weren't there. You didn't see the things I saw. You didn't make the mistakes I made. And you are not the one who is running around, sweeping floors and making beds and cooking meals and keeping up a home for people that don't want it anymore. Fee, roll me a perception check, please. Uh, 21. Something very strange starts to happen as Sabine is talking. It starts off really subtle. You just smell something kind of crisp and acrid on the air. It smells like somebody downstairs maybe burned some toast or something. But then it gets stronger and stronger. You notice yourself struggling to breathe, although you can't see any smoke. Your lungs are on fire. And the room is suddenly extremely hot, just uncomfortable levels of heat washing across your skin. As you look up at this wall full of all of the art that Sabine's siblings made for her over the years, you don't see flames, but you see the edges of the paper start to scorch and glow and curl in on themselves as if the paper is being consumed by fire. And you come to a pretty quick realization that everything about this magnificent mansion is tied to Sabine. It is tied to her magical power, and apparently it is tied to her mental state. And that is fostering a situation that is bad and potentially dangerous. Fee's gonna kneel down on the ground in front of Sabine and get both of her hands in both of her own. Someone you trusted took advantage of you. That is not your fault. That is hers. That's not the way they see it. I tried so hard to get what was left of us back together, to bring us all home, and... Florian's got his whole career in Valdur, and Colette and Jay have the dance troupe, and Oberon's living in some backwater town so far up in the mountains they'll never find him, and Sid hates me for not doing better. They don't want to come home. And that's all I wanted after everything. I just wanted to bring them home. Sabine, it sounds like they are home. Fee kind of looks around at the Magnificent Mansion spell around them. This isn't their home. It's your memory of it. Isn't it better that they're all places that have a future and not stuck in the past? The room starts to cool off. All of the pictures on the walls stop this process of invisible burning and return to the way they were before. And the little paper animals that had crumbled into ash in Sabine's hand reform. But she looks bone-deep sad, curling in on herself and staring at Sid's childish handwriting across the paper. Yeah, no, you're right. It's good. It's a good thing. 
I guess I'm just scared of being stuck in the past alone. <sighs> I need a minute. I'm sorry. Uh, are you sure? Positive. I'm in no fit state for company right now. Uh, okay. She gets up, gives Sabine a kiss on the top of the head if she's okay with it, and she's gonna walk out. She pauses in the door frame and says, Sabine, you have a future too, you know, with us, if you want it. I do. You know I do. It's just... Coming home has always been the easy part for me. And no matter how many times I do it, leaving is always the hard one. I'm gonna need some time to figure out how to leave home for good. And it's something I need to do on my own. I'll be here when you do. I love you. Yeah, I love you too. Okay, he's gonna go. You leave and start off down the hallway, and before you take two steps, you hear an unholy commotion coming from downstairs. There is the scrabble of bone on marble, and then a second later, you hear an irate voice yelling, Dexter, you no good mongrel, that's one of my good boots! What? I'm gonna investigate that? You follow the source of this commotion down the stairs, and in the foyer, see Fen and Mia, who are apparently not on guard duty right now, and also Dexter. No Leo in sight. Dexter is running across the floor with a knee-high black leather boot clutched in his mouth, and Mia is scrabbling after him. Meanwhile, Fen is standing back next to the door, with the other boot raised in his hand, getting ready to throw it. Looks up, sees you, grins, and slowly brings his free hand up to put a finger in front of his lips. Fee bites down on her lower lips so hard and just nods. He waits until Mia turns the corner of one of the downstairs hallways and then tosses the other boot. He walks over to meet you at the bottom of the stairs, trying really hard not to laugh. Fee just puts a hand over her mouth so she won't laugh either. Watching Mia chase after the fucking bone dog, <laughs> she leans over to Fen and says, So, uh, not... To make things tense, but I think there are a couple things you might want to ask them about. Not right now, but soon. Dexter's spectral barking and Mia's cursing fade off down this hallway, and Fen turns to look over at you, frowns. Things I want to ask them about- Oh, are you talking about the, uh- immortal demigod dragon from the moon thing hmm oh fuck did they not tell you no no but i i knew uh 
Huh? Oh, yeah, they told me about everything right after the whole incident with you and Leo happened and we all moved in here. They- you- and you're just- feed gestures down the hall? Come again? Fen shrugs in that very Phenandris Tormer style of taking everything in stride and just runs a hand back through his hair, starts pulling it into a ponytail. Yeah, they got really weird and surprised, too, when I said that it didn't change anything about us. Way I see it, as long as they've lived, all the things they've seen, all of us must be like insects to them. But they've never made me feel that way. Not once. So why would it change anything? That's... really cute, actually. I mean... Thanks? We're doing our best? I don't know. I love them. They love me. Trying to bring anything else into the equation just makes it messy, you know? I should go get their boot back from Dexter, though. They're gonna kick my ass. Yeah, you do that. I need time for my brain to settle. Uh, well, as far as I know, Verity's outside hunting for herbs. Leo's upstairs being Leo about things. Zed's somewhere sulking. I think the Archduchess is in the kitchen helping with dinner. That seems like it would be a pretty calm environment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, good luck with your dragon partner and the boot and the dog. I'm gonna... And then Fee gets up on her tiptoes and gives Finn a little kiss on the cheek. I'm I'm gonna go. As you walk away and Fen goes to pick up the boot that he threw, he yells after you, I want to make it clear that the whole dragon thing is not, um, it has no place in- Please don't say anything else. <laughs> he ignores your request. I'm not into dragons. Well, I mean, I guess I am, but not like that. I'm leaving, Phenandris. And he walks into the kitchen. This Magnificent Mansion spell has a big functional kitchen that looks like it is well accustomed to cooking for a family of 12. As you walk in, you see Adana in an argument with the little teenage spectral Sabine that you saw real Sabine instruct to go make dinner earlier. Adana's like waving this little magical construct off and busying herself with several pots on top of the stove. No, really, sweetie, it's okay, I can handle it. I can do things. She leans down and pops a casserole dish into the oven, and then stands back up, looks at the magical construct again. I'm perfectly capable, that will be ready in. She spreads her hands apart, and you notice that the magic between them, that previously fragmented and stilted cat's cradle is strong and glowing. And then you see the little leather fingerless gloves pulled down over both of her hands with a little buckle around each of her wrists. There's a small clear crystal on the back of each of them that glows in time with her magic. She peers into the center of this cat's cradle, looks back up at the magical construct, and goes, Exactly 28 minutes. 
I have got this. Go help someone else, please. Um, wh- what's, what's happening here? Adana's head snaps up to look at you and the magic dies between her hands. Oh, um, I was just trying to help make dinner. I understand how a magnificent mansion spell works. It's meant to give us all an opportunity to relax, but I, um... She starts shaking her hands, kind of flapping them back and forth. I need to, um, feel useful to stay present, so I figured I would make dinner tonight. Uh, understandable, actually. Can I help? Yeah, absolutely. That would be great. I would love some company in here. Not that you're not company, sweetheart. She reaches out and pats this little magical construct of teenage Sabine on top of the head. You know what we could use your help with? Laundry. Because I hate doing laundry. Wet clothes are bad for me. The little spectral Sabine shuffles off to go start on laundry, apparently. And Adana pulls her hands apart in that same motion again. The very bright, strong web of magic appearing between them. Ooh, okay, and Leo's gonna be in a mood again tonight, so I should probably make the stuffed peppers that he likes. Ferrara, sweetheart, can you help me with a little side project that I'm working on? Yes, I can... I I can do that. Your magic looks... better, by the way. Adana looks up from where she's been staring into this cat's cradle, and it dissolves between her fingers. Oh, yeah, um, Celica made me these. And she holds both hands up, showing off the fingerless gloves. It helps with the magic, it doesn't help with the... (laughs) And she kind of reaches one hand up, taps a finger to the side of her head. But, you know, that little girl, oh, what's her name? Um, um, Vivacity? Verity? Yes, her. She's so sweet. She went back to the cave and got all my notes for me, so I've been writing everything down. She waves a hand off towards where there is indeed a pile of papers stacked on a counter. I'm doing everything I can to stay here, because I'm not any good anywhere else. Anyway... Celica was nice enough to make me the gloves to help out with my magic, so I asked her what her favorite dessert was, and she said lemon meringue pie, and I said, okay, that sounds great. So I need help making a pie. Oh, okay. Um, I've never baked before. Oh, that's fine. This is easy. I'll handle the lemon curd. It can be a little finicky. She puts a big mixing bowl to the side and then pushes another big mixing bowl down the counter towards you. How about you just separate those eggs, and we'll get to work on the meringue? Fee looks around the counter for eggs. There are indeed eggs on the counter. Adana has gotten all of her mise en place from this magnificent mansion spell. It's all sitting there. Fee's gonna move the eggs so they're not touching quizzically. (laughs) Is this... Does this help? Adana, who is partway through squeezing juice out of a lemon into a measuring cup, looks over at you and goes, What are you doing? I'm- I'm- I'm separating the 
eggs. She stares at you for a long time. Okay, so maybe we take this down a notch. How about you just put the crust in the pie pan? Do I see a pie crust? There is a lump of dough sitting on the counter surrounded by like flour and several other baking tools. Yes, you do see it. And there is a glass pie pan sitting up there as well. I put the dough in the pie pan and start trying to squish it flat. Adana's eyes, if possible, get even bigger, and she goes, Oh, not like that! Do you- (sighs) Ferora, sweetheart, do you not know how to cook? No, I do not. Okay, and that's fine. I'll help you. I'll teach you. Um, right now the best way you can help is by washing dishes when I'm done. But feel free to hang out. I would love the company. Fee looks down at the floor for a second, dejected, and says, Okay. And then she goes and sits at the table. Adana goes over and grabs your misshapen blob of pie dough out of the dish and puts it back on the counter, starts rolling it out with a rolling pin. She's not really looking at you as she works, but... Somehow you still feel like her entire attention is upon you. It's okay that you don't know how to do these things. (laughs) Shit, I mean, when I met your father, he didn't even know how to make toast. Anyway, separating eggs means this. And you watch her crack an egg over the side of one of the mixing bowls and actually separate the yolk from the white. And as far as putting the crust in the pan, you have to roll it out first? Fee, it strikes you that you've never seen a rolling pin before. Because Adana pulls one out and you have no idea what it is. You think it's a weapon for a second, you get a little scared that she's about to hit you. And then she starts rolling this pie crust out and cutting it out into an appropriate shape, laying it delicately into the pan. By the way, I've been meaning to ask you, are you feeling okay after the incident the other day? I tried to ask Leo, he won't talk to me. Um, I had a little bit of a scratch in my throat for a few days, but I'm feeling alright now. Thank you for asking. Adana purses her lips and finishes pressing this pie crust into the tin. Oh, um, yeah, that makes sense. Can you hand me a whisk, please? Fee pauses like a rabbit in the eyes of a wolf. (laughs) And then gets up and goes over to where the utensils are and just picks up something. Roll investigation. Dirty 20. Fee, you don't know what a whisk is, but you grab one of the metal utensils in a jar on this counter, just praying for all you are worth. And Adana looks at you very impressed. She reaches out, grabs it, and starts whipping up the beginnings of lemon curd in one of these mixing bowls. Fee does a fist pump behind her back. Adana keeps mixing, she's still not looking at you. I mean, as far as I can tell, the thing in the tower 
and the island are two different things. Do you understand? No. Not really. There's the thing in the tower, and then there's the island. And the thing in the tower is wrong and twisted and hungry, and it wanted nothing to do with me. But the island... She's old. And she's confused, and... (laughs) She's a lot like me that way. This place has been around for a long time for Aurora, and... Whatever it was... First and foremost, it used to be a home. She throws a piece of parchment paper across this pie crust, weighs it down with a little bit of dried rice from the container on the counter, and pops it into the oven. That's what a home wants, right? It wants to be lived in. A home wants to welcome people. But when you're old and confused... And your original purpose has been corrupted. Coming home starts to feel a lot like dying. I mean, the island tried with me the first couple years I was here. I didn't have a home. It wanted me to come home. And so I told it no thank you. Because a home is not a place, it's not walls, it's not a point you can plot on a map, it's people. And I had that. I had a person. Someone waiting for me. She finishes with this pie filling and sets these mixing bowls aside, and then sits down on the other side of the counter from you and brings both hands up to press against her forehead. I worry about Leo, though. The thing that wants him? It's meaner, and it's smarter, and there's no bargaining with it. The island hates it. It's the thing that confused her. It's the thing that took all her good intentions and made them hurt people. Uh, Okay. I'm worried about him, too. Leo, it's several days later. Everyone has been kind of... You think they're trying to be subtle at trying to get you involved in conversations and trying to get you and Zed in the same location. They have not been subtle at all. You and Zed have continued to be... frosty. Zed is actually sleeping down in one of the common rooms of the Magnificent Mansion. You don't know where. It is... late at night... Everybody is kind of bunked down for the evening. What are you doing? If it's night and he's alone in his room, I think he's just laying there staring at the wall. 
and then eventually makes the decision to stand up and try to stealth out of the Magnificent Mansion spell. Okay, uh, roll me a stealth check. 32. You manage to sneak down the hall that everyone's rooms are in. You hear Ravain in his and Verity's room talking in his trance quietly, just mumbling. You hear the telltale sounds of Kalesa and Eleonora both sleeping like windmills in their room. Various noises of people resting. You don't disturb anyone. You get down the stairs, and Zed is sleeping in the foyer. Knocked out on a couch. I'm gonna try to sneak past him out the front door. Roll stealth. Well, that was a four on the die, but it's still a 19. Okay. You slip out the front door. Where are you going? Up to the tower. In through the front door if it's not locked. Uh, it is locked. <laughs> cool, fun. I'll roll thieves tools on it. Not 20! So that's a 35 to get into the tower. Okay, you unlock the door easily. Roll a whiz save. 24. As soon as you open the door, a glyph of warding flares on the back of it, but you manage to beat Sid's spell save DC. So you walk in, you hear footsteps on the stairs, and then Sid's head pokes out over the stairwell. He sees you and he just says, Come on, man. I have... Questions and concerns, alright? I just want to talk to the big guy for a couple seconds. Is there a chapel anywhere down here? Could you give me directions? Or do you hate me so much that you don't want to? Sid melodramatically rolls his eyes and then says, It's the door to the right, dumbass. Yeah, great, cool. It is past your bedtime. Go take your trance. Fuck you. Fuck you too, kid. Don't worry about me. I've got this. Whatever. And Sid goes back up the stairs. Question. Is the ghost hole bigger than 20 feet across? It is not. I would say it's about 10 feet across. Okay, cool. Before he goes looking for this chapel, Leo's going to drop a glyph of warding spell over the ghost hole. He gets a lot of wiggle room as far as hyper-specific conditions go with this glyph of warding spell, so he's going to specify that if he crosses the limit of the spell, it's going to trigger a third-level sending spell to Sabine that says, If you're hearing this, I did something stupid. I'm at the tower. I needed answers. Teleport up here, get me out, don't listen to me. And then he's going to follow Sid's direction into this chapel, apparently. 
you walk into the central chapel of the entire Kimberlite religion. It is where Elander Valsine and Justice's mother's kitchen was. A high, soaring ceiling has been added onto it. Grand stained glass windows and a bunch of pews, a big altar at the other side from where you're standing. But with the knowledge that you have, you can see the bones of what it once was. What are you doing, bud? I shut the doors behind me and I start drawing glyphs on the floor to let me cast Commune as a ritual spell. Much like the last time you cast a Commune spell, Kimrel pops in mid-motion. He's reaching behind him for something and you watch his bony hand close and then open again and he looks around and he goes did we have to have this talk right now yeah we really do because i had just gotten past the point of my life where i wanted to throw myself into the abyss and then all of a sudden i'm doing so without my consent I get that the rules of this spell say that you can give me a yes or no answer to the questions I'm asking, but have I not earned some fucking honesty by this point, Kimrel? Can I ask you a question and have you give me an answer and have it actually help me for once in my life? Are you ready to ask the right questions? What's the hole in the floor? Kimrel doesn't have lips, but if he did, you know they would be curling. It's a Landerfelsine's legacy. Something I don't support. So why does it want me? Kimrel steps to the edge of this commune spell, looking down at you. is going to walk back to the door of this chapel and open it again and look out into the bottom of the lighthouse. Roll away safe. A 14. You're halfway across the room when Kimrel says, Leo freezes wherever he was between the chapel and the big hole in the floor. This is it, right? This is the end. It's gonna take me no matter what I want. Turn around. Now. I can't. Yes. You can. And you watch the light flare. From within the circle of stones, you hear, as Kimrel is telling you to turn around, Soren's voice calling, Leo! Leo! 
can't. What other choice do you have? Leo doesn't turn around. He's still looking at the circle of stones in the floor, where he just heard Soren's voice. You're dead. You're dead, and it's my fault. And I'm sorry. But you don't get to take the people I love. You don't get to take my boyfriend. You don't get to take my sister. And you don't get to take me. And he turns around and walks back into the chapel, closing the door behind him. Kimrel stands there. He looks the most honest you've ever seen him. It is the first interaction that you've actually had with your deity where he is not putting up a front. He looks at you, the silvery purple lights where his eyes should be that match the light in that circle of stones glimmering. And he says, How does it feel? Hungry. How do I stop it? He tilts his head again, leaning over the edge of this commune spell, teeth bared. It's a broken promise, Lero. You already know what you have to do. Yes, I do. The commune spell ends and Kimrel disappears. Take a cleric level. Okay. Um, I get a stat increase or a feat this level. I'm going to take the Mage Slayer feat. So from now on, when a creature within five feet of Leo casts a spell, he can use his reaction to make a melee weapon attack against that creature. When he damages a creature that is concentrating on a spell, that creature has disadvantage on the saving throw it makes to maintain concentration, and he has advantage on saving throws against spells cast by creatures within five feet of him. So what you're saying is that with your magic items and all of your abilities and this new feat, Leo has by divine providence become a weapon specifically designed to kill Morlin Valsine? Yeah, pretty much. Absolutely delectable. You stand alone in this grand chapel, staring up at these stained glass images of Kimberlite saints. After a moment, you recognize the largest of them, the one in the center, is Archduke Alander Valsine, staring down at you 
wearing the circlet that you now wear on your head. And then the door opens behind you. Leo whips around to see who's there. Zed is standing in the doorway. He shifts back and forth on his feet nervously for a second and reaches up to rub the back of his neck with one hand and goes, Uh, hey boss. Leo goes rigid and just looks at him. Hey. Um, I mean, I would have woken you up, but you wouldn't have let this happen. And I learned a couple really valuable things, and also, hey, still alive. So? He grimaces and then goes, Uh, you sort of did wake me up on your way out. And Barry, you can go ahead and mark that as a failure for your circlet, um, because Zed's passive perception is 20. Oh good, so now I crit on a 17 the next time we fight something. Yeah, that's the bright side. Leo winces, and then his posture stiffens, and he immediately goes on the defensive. Look, I get it, I get how this looks, but I just had questions, okay? And I set up things to protect myself in case whatever the hell is in that hole in the floor tried to start messing with me again. I just... I had questions. I'm sorry. Zed takes a really deep breath and then says... I love you and you scare the shit out of me and I followed you all the way up here because I didn't want to stop you because I didn't want to have a fucking fight about it, especially if you weren't going to do anything. And then I was standing right inside the door and you walked out and you walked toward the fucking hole and I thought I was going to have to stop you and you turned around and I just, I'm sorry I'm an asshole, all right? What? Please don't make me say all that again. I was psyching myself up for like five minutes. Leo takes a step forward and reaches a hand out towards him. Hate to ask this question again, but do you want the good news or the bad news first? Zed deflates. Why is there bad news in response to the thing that I said? The hole in the floor wants me... in it. Very badly. So you were right to be scared about me being out of the Magnificent Mansion spell and off on my own. The bad news is that you were right. Fuck. He scrubs a hand over his face. Alright, alright, um... Okay, we can handle that. We can... Yep. And the good news is... The good news is that this time it tried to get me, and I told it to go fuck itself. And I'm still standing here, so maybe it worked. You remember back in Tordoon, when I was so obsessed with my birthright? With what I thought I was owed? This is it. Millennia of... Betrayal and murder and lies. That's what I'm heir to. And the betrayal and the murder and the lies, they want me. But they don't get to have me. 
And that's because of you. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have snapped at you the way I did. You were just worried about me. You should have been. <laughs> Fuck, I'm worried about me. No, I was... I was being a dick. We talked about some shit that brought up some bad stuff for me, and I was not ready for things to go to shit right afterward, and I wasn't ready to have to go from that to being worried, and it all got tangled up. I don't know, I'm not... I'm used to worrying about people, and I'm not used to having people that I want to look out for worry about me. And that's my problem to deal with. Not a reason to keep you under fucking house arrest. I... I've had that done to me and I fucking hated it and I was being a dick. Yeah. You were. But so was I. Leo waves around at the stained glass windows and the candelabras and all of the Kimmerlite trappings of this chapel. You know I don't believe in any of this, right? It's all a lie. Alright. He pulls you a little closer, puts one hand on the back of your head, and says, You don't believe in any of this? You don't want it? What do you want? You? Leo takes a step back, hops up to sit on top of the altar, and pulls him in and kisses him. Zed kisses you back, and then pulls back with a pop, and breathlessly says, You know, I think this must be some kind of sacrilege. I think that I don't care. So, Fee, you spend the next couple weeks mired in a waiting game. Fortunately, Leo and Zed seem to kiss and make up in a pretty prolific way. Sabine also mellows out a little bit, and as the days go by, you start to see Sid hanging out around the Magnificent Mansion a little bit more. Just for lunches and afternoon tea initially, but after a while he starts staying for dinner, before retiring back up to the tower. You come downstairs one afternoon to the front door swinging wide open onto the beach. What do you do? I look around to see if anybody's in the foyer. Dexter's there, gnawing on one of Fen's shoes. I nod at Dexter. Good boy. And then I go outside. Out on the beach, Verity is combing through piles of driftwood, looking for any kind of organic material that she can use for either spells or potions. And a little bit further up the beach... Eleonora and Kalesa are sitting on a sand dune, seemingly deep in conversation. But then Kalesa gets up 
leans down, kisses Eleonora on the forehead, and then turns and walks back toward you. Fee shoots her a little wave. Oh, this is Kalesa we're talking about. She fully comes over and gives you a big hug. Hey, good to see you up and about. Um, it's going... It sure is going, huh? Uh, sure is, Kalesa. Should I take that as a hint that you want to talk about something? She scowls and then sits down on the beach next to you, grabs a piece of driftwood, and starts doodling in the damp sand next to her. I mean, it's just... Eleonora and I were talking and doing some, frankly, really optimistic thought experiments about what we're gonna do if we survive all of this. And, you know, when? She doesn't want to go back to Estermouth by any stretch of the imagination, and I can't go back to Valentall. You... you can't? I can't walk down those hallways again without my parents. I just... I can't. And we've talked about this, obviously, and both of us brought it up to Sabine, who was very accommodating and said, Oh, yeah, that's fine, you can join the dance troupe. But I have two left feet, and Eleonora gets stage fright, so... Oh. I'm, I'm sorry. You don't need to be. I mean, losing a home just means getting the chance to find a new one, right? Yeah, yeah, that's... Fee plasters on a big smile. I'm sure you'll find somewhere that makes you happy. Kalesa stiffens and narrows her eyes as she looks out onto the waves crashing against the beach. I found a person that can. It's just the place that's complicated. From right behind you, you hear the front door of the Magnificent Mansion spell open, and Leo just yelling and cursing up a storm. God damn it, Dexter, what have I told you about digging in my flower bed? I'm gonna go ahead and roll perception for him. 21. He's good. He starts checking on these few sprigs of lavender and seagrass shooting up through the sand in front of the door of the Magnificent Mansion. But then you see his eyes go sort of glassy and his face go vacant as he turns his head and looks toward the horizon. Oh, fuck. Fee turns from her conversation with Kalesa and smiles and says, Leo, have I ever mentioned how much I love it when you walk into conversations and say, oh, fuck? Okay, can I clarify you, me, Tower, now? He turns around and starts jogging up the road to the Tower. What are you- Fee turns back to Kalesa and says, if we don't get back in touch in 10 minutes, send somebody after us, and if it's been 20, assume we're dead. And then she starts jogging up the road after Leo. You see him barge past the two front doors to this tower. I'm gonna roll a whiz save for him. 
25. He's fine. He charges up the stairs past Sid, who's going, What the fuck are you doing in my house? And making a beeline for the lantern room, which, Fee, you have not been into yet. That I have not. I'm hoofing it up the spiral staircase, trying to, like, hike my skirts up high enough that I can run, yelling, Can you explain, or are we just gonna keep doing this? Leo, from a couple flights above you, yells, In a minute! You are so annoying! Fee, you get your first experience with the top of this lighthouse. Just a circular room lined with shelves of skulls and grave goods and reliquaries labeled with names. It is deeply creepy. Eh, Fee's Australian. She's fine. As you move your way through this room, you hear Leo yell over his shoulder, It's okay, take whatever you want, just don't touch anything of Uncle Val's. I'm not gonna grave rob our ancestors. Tell me what's going on! Out here, come on! He has moved a shelf to the side and opened up a long closed door to make his way out onto a narrow balcony. I'm fucking going out there, I guess. You go out there, and you see Leo squinting at something way off in the distance to the east. He reaches down to the bag at his belt and pulls out his crystal ball, and you see kind of similar bright blue magic to Adana's start to spark from his fingertips and disperse into it like clouds. He casts Clairvoyance, so he gets a view from a mile out to sea. There's a moment where he stares down into his crystal ball, and then sucks in a sharp breath. Oh god, no. Um, I I look into the crystal ball. You see a huge multi-masted sailing ship approaching with a plethora of ships backing it up. You're a little confused at first about why Leo looks so panicked because your initial thought is that it's the captain coming back with reinforcements. But as you look down into this crystal ball and watch these ships get closer, you start to see the familiar build of them and the flags that they fly. Your brother looks up at you, face a mask of sheer terror. That's the Australian Navy. He's coming. And that's where we're going to end for this week. Screaming, crying, etc. Oh, 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 you thought it was bad. It only gets worse. We'll see how much worse it gets next time. On Compelled Duel, we're in the endgame, folks.
Hey everybody, Barry here with the postscript, just clearing up a couple housekeeping things here at the end of the episode. As always, I'm going to go ahead and plug our social media profiles. You can find us on Twitter, Tumblr, and TikTok at Compelled Duel. We have lots of other cool stuff going on, however, an official website, an official Spotify profile, our official merch store, stuff like that. You can find all that stuff linked on any of our various social media profiles. If you're interested in supporting the show, we ask that you consider heading over to patreon.com slash compelled duel, where starting at just $2 a month, you can get access to all kinds of cool patron perks, including early access to episodes, access to exclusive playlists and bonus content, and even handwritten letters from your favorite character every month. If you're interested in supporting the show in ways other than pledging to our Patreon, We ask that if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, that you leave us a rating and a review, since that helps the show get promoted to a wider audience. We host a weekly Q&A show on our YouTube every week, and we would love to see you show up for that, ask a couple questions. We always have a really fun time. And as always, if you like what you're hearing on the show, we ask that you just tell a couple friends about it. And if they like it, ask them to tell a couple friends as well. Word of mouth advertising is the most powerful tool we have at our disposal. Our release schedule is going to be a little bit different from now until the end of the campaign. So that's going to mean that our next episode will actually be coming out on May 20th, 2022. And then the episode following that will be out on June 3rd, 2022. And of course, if you're a member of our Patreon, you'll be getting access 24 hours before both of those dates. Thank you guys so much, and see you in two weeks.